Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Zechariah. Next to the last book of the Old Testament. I remember when I first got saved, I'd never read the Bible. And, and even to this day, I have to stop and think, where's you know, this minor prophet and where that one is? And, and uh, you just have to start just thumbing through the Bible. And uh, so it's uh, my pastor, the only pastor I ever had, uh, made it a habit uh, to help people out on those difficult books of the Bible. And I'm glad he did, or I might have sat through the whole service trying to find it before the service ended. But this is really an interesting book. It's been called the Revelation of the Old Testament. And it's the very nature of it just reaches out and if you have any concern at all about God's plan and the future, why uh, this is certainly a book that will get your attention. And I'm saying that because there's so much I would like to say in regards to this book and yet this morning I want to just reduce it all down to just one simple thought that I'll give to you in a moment. I'm going to speak to you today about a problem that, uh, that people seldom, if, if ever, even really give a lot of thought to. Every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, every teacher in Awana, each and every one faces the challenge of trying to get people's attention. Well, that can be hard to do in this day and age that we live in, can, can it? Especially whenever uh, it's so easy for someone to just look at their phone and start uh, seeing what the score of a ball game is or uh, looking up some information on the internet. And it's a real battle to get people to really pay attention. It's It's a sad thing whenever we fail to respond to the Word of God just knowing it's the Word of God and deserves our response. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard years ago about someone asked one of the church members, said, uh, how, long, how long do you sleep uh, in on Sunday mornings? He said, well, it's according. He said, according to what? He said, according to how long the sermon lasts. And so I, re- I don't think, we, listen, we've got a respectful congregation. I really, I don't think there's anybody asleep unless you're sleeping with your eyes open anyway. I don't think anyone would be so rude to intentionally go to sleep uh, during the service. But you might be surprised how many people have the uncanny bad ability to be able to just sit and look and uh, hear the words without ever really listening to what is being said. And I want you to understand that every preacher, every teacher is accountable for what they teach whatever they say. We are accountable for that. We don't have the right to just get up here and start bouncing ideas off of your, uh, off of your mind and saying whatever we feel like saying. Our responsibility is to teach the Word of God. Your responsibility is to listen to the Word of God, not just hearing the words. You can teach a parrot 
to repeat certain words, but that doesn't mean that the parrot has any idea of what those words mean. Nor does it mean that the parrot has any intention of doing whatever it is that you might say. I got a report from one of my granddaughters this week. I think I got it right or close to right. She said something to her daddy said, what did you say? She said, I didn't like what you said and I ain't, I'm not going to do it. I think it kind of like that and uh, you, know, you understand how that ended up uh, with a spanking. But that's the attitude of a lot of people. You know, we know what the Bible says, but we don't really hear in the sense that we have an intent to put into practice and to do what God says. Turn to chapter 7, the book of Zechariah. This is speaking here about the importance of hearing God. And I want you to see four things about this, and then we're going to get down to one last comment that relates to all four of these things. Notice in verse 7, we see a serious question. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets, when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities there round about her, when the men inhabited the south and the plain? Now, go back to chapter 1 for a minute, and so you can see what he's speaking about. In chapter number 1, I want you to notice what he mentions, beginning, I think, about verse number 4. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to to our doing, so hath he dealt with us. He's looking back and reminding these people here in chapter 7 of what those prophets said. Now, in order to really get the story here, you need to understand if you go back to the first part of chapter 7, there's been a delegation that has been sent uh, to the prophets and to, and to the priests also. And, and the delegation of Jews, and remember they've been through 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And so the delegation goes to the prophets and to the priests and uh, ask a question. Here's what the question has to do. As a result of that bondage, those people you would think by now would have been corrected for their rebellion against God. Things are better now. A decree has been issued that is going to allow them to go back. And some of the people are trickling back 
to Jerusalem. It looks like that all of the hard times are over. Everything's going to be all right now, finally. Seventy long years in captivity. Let me tell you, that wasn't some picnic in the park. While few might have fared well by gaining the favor of the king, the others suffered grievously. Just imagine you being taken from your family. We think a lot about Daniel and what a wonderful story that Daniel and the three Hebrew children is. But think about being in their shoes as teenagers, being taken away from your family to deported to some other country. This is what they've been through. But now they've got the they've got word that things are going to be better. We're going to get to return home. We can rebuild the, you know, the temple and the walls and it'll be like it used to be. The way Grandpa you know, told me it used to be. How nice that's going to be. So during that time, they issued a fast during the fifth month and again during the seventh month. And remember, they are the ones that decided this would be a good thing to do because there is an urgency about getting back there and getting all of the work finished. So in light of that, they raised this question in verse 7. Should you not hear the words which the Lord had cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited? In other words, what... what were the prophets saying back before your nation got into such a mess as this? What was it they said? And that's why we went back to chapter 1. That's what they said. They had warned them that if you turn a deaf ear to God, that God will not hear you when you call upon Him. Now these two fasts, it seems like that was really a spiritual good thing to do. Right? I mean, what could be wrong with that? Declaring a spiritual fast. God didn't issue the decrees to do that. God didn't give a command to do that on that occasion and on those particular dates. This was a religious ceremony. In and of itself, nothing wrong with it. But it was a religious ceremony that they themselves had initiated. And the Lord is trying to get them to see that all they're doing is looking at this in a way of self-pity. Oh, that we could get back to the homeland. Oh, that we could get things back to the way that they used to be. And they're fasting and no doubt praying that all of that might happen. And yet there's no expression of concern for the problem that caused their problem. It's not some great confession and the Lord's trying to get them to see here that all of this that you're doing is in self-interest. It's not for spiritual edification. It's not for the glory of God and Notice the simple solution. Now that was a serious question. But here's the simple solution beginning in verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto 
Zechariah saying, Thus speaketh the Lord. Well, that ought to get your attention, hadn't it? Thus speaketh the Lord. That's what happens every time someone reads from the Word of God. It's God speaking. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassion every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. Let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. God is showing here a concern about their righteous conduct above their religious ceremonies. They thought maybe this will really impress God that we are having these fasts. That ought to get God's attention. That ought to hurry up and get us back home. That ought to bring great blessings upon us. And God is again pointing out that you're doing all of that in self-interest. You say, well, preacher, I just don't understand how any of this applies to us today. Well, you know, it could apply to, to a preacher who preaches just because he loves to preach. Nothing to do with, you know, bringing glory to God and edifying God's people. Just It's something he enjoys. There's people that sing because they, man, they enjoy singing, especially whenever there's an applause. There, there are people that do religious things because they enjoy doing those things. I had an experience several years ago and that I had to bite my tongue uh, Certain teachers, no, nobody here, by the way, in case you're wondering, was talking to me about how, how, how much he loved to teach. And based on my observations, my gut feeling was that I understand you love to teach, but based on what I see, I'm not so sure you love the people you teach. There's a difference between doing what you do because you enjoy Coming to church can be really, well, I'll use the word fun. We see people that we love. We like these folks. We, wow, we might play golf with them or you ladies, you know, go shopping with some of your friends and things like that. You just love to be around these people. And man, oh, man, do you ever love those old songs? Yeah. Love to sing. Sometimes you enjoy the preaching, probably not this morning, but sometimes if it's about heaven or something, you'll enjoy that. And it's one thing for us to do what we do because our main heartfelt concern is that God will be glorified and God's people will be edified. That's why he's saying to them, basically he's saying, look, I didn't command you to observe those two particular fasts. If you want to know what I really want you to do, here it is. Look at verse 9 again. Here it is. Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. And the list doesn't end there. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, know the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. 
in your heart. In your heart. You know, we could all say, we could all say, you know, I haven't said anything bad about anybody else in my family or in the church. I never did this or I never did that. And the Lord's saying, yeah, but I know what's in here. And he's saying, you really want to know what I want you to do? You can forget about those traditional religious ceremonies. Take care of the widows. Take care of the fatherless, the stranger, the poor. And none of you imagine evil against his brother in his heart. Wow. He wants them to understand that righteous conduct is the thing that impresses God. You know, I think sometimes people make life a whole lot more complex than what it needs to be. And I say that because it's easy for us to talk about our beliefs, right? Especially we, you know, here we fundamental Baptists and Right, right here's our statement of faith and we believe the Bible and boy, we're adamant about, about our stand on the second coming of Christ and all of those things. Good and proper doctrines. We love to investigate the Bible and try to figure out exactly whenever Jesus is coming back and so forth. We even talk about things that we should do. And all of that can get so complex whenever the reality of it is, and this is what the Lord is trying to get across to them, just do it. This is my list. This is what I want you to do. Now just do it. Don't sit around and talk about the poor widow or fatherless or, the, or you know someone over there that uh, has a great... Don't sit around and talk about uh, or put them on the prayer list. Just do it. And that tells me that good or even great activity in some areas does not make up for neglect in other areas. And they could, you know, they could argue, but Lord, we're fasting. Man, I haven't eaten in days. I'm starving to death, Lord. That didn't impress the Lord one bit. Not anything wrong with it. But you see, motive matters with God. Why I do what I do, why you do what, whatever you do, that matters to God. He's not just looking at the action, He's looking at the attitude of our heart, the motive behind it. And we cannot make up for our failures by doing some good that Hopefully he's going to impress God. That was the point. These people, in spite of the fact that they've suffered that horrible 70 years, still have not learned the lesson that they needed to know and they're headed for trouble. Look at verse number 11. And here we see a stubborn rejection. God let them know, I know what's going on. I tried to warn you. 
Way back there in chapter 1, he reminded them, this is what the former prophet said, and you wouldn't listen. And now I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. Here's my to-do list. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 11, but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Let's go back and look at that list. It doesn't look that bad, does it? He didn't say, I want you to drain your bank account and bring me every penny. He doesn't say that. He didn't say, I want you to do like some of those religious people and climb up those high mountains on your hands and knees. He didn't say, I want you to do like some of those people feed your babies to the crocodiles. He didn't say any of that. He just said things that pretty logical and common sense and decent. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, or the stranger, or the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother. I mean, I, to me, I mean, that ought to be things that we would just do because that's the right thing to do. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. In other words, they're doing this intentionally. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore, in other words, here's the consequences. Therefore, because of that, came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. And here he's reminding them again of the price we pay when we refuse to listen, to hear, to listen with the intent of putting into practice what God says. They just said, we don't like what you're saying, we're not going to do it. Now whenever we look at this, notice that this is something God did repeatedly, by the way. It shows the patience of God. He didn't tell them one time, you know, as a parent, I'm certain that there have been times I've told some of my kids, look, I'm telling you this one time and it better get done. I'm not going to tell you anymore. How many of you kids ever had your mom or dad say something like that? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you again. God was patient with these people. It's not like he lost his temper one day and said, I'm getting sick and tired of this. Payday's coming now. But it was over and over and over again. Those prophets came before the people and, and begging them as it were. He was gentle about it. He didn't say, now look, I'm going to give you some warning. I'm going to shoot lightning bolts down out of heaven or I'm going to send an earthquake. He didn't start doing stuff like that and give you 30 days. No, he was gentle. He was kind in all of this. And by the way, through it all, God was wanting what was best for them. And they couldn't get that in their mind. The same thing is true of us. We read through the Bible and there might be some things like, my little granddaughter said, I don't like what you said. You know, I'm not going to do it. And sometimes people have that kind of an attitude with God. We, some things we like and what have you. We, we think that God is a killjoy, that he's going to 
intentionally deprive us of things that we get pleasure from. How dare he put up those Ten Commandments, those moral laws. How dare he to regulate our behavior? And then come along and tell us that we're responsible for what we even think in our heart. Who does he think he is? He's God. And everything he does, he's doing out of love, out of interest for you and I. He wants what is best for you, and we're, we're just too ignorant to, to see that, evidently. It's kind of like putting up those commandments are like warning signs out there on the highway. Slow down, stop, go back, dead end, road out. Bottomless pit. I mean, by the time you get down there a little ways, you ought to be really paying attention. There's something going on, and it's not good. And still they refused to listen. They refused repeatedly, as I said. And look at verse 12 again. They, they hardened their heart. Now remember, these are people that have seen rebellion. They've seen what God does. And you can just trace it all the way back through the Old Testament over and over again. You go to the book of Judges, for example. And you see that it goes through one cycle after another after another all the way through. Where out of their rebellion, God allowed great difficulties to come upon the people. And finally, in their misery, they finally cried out to God. They finally started listening to God and God in His great love poured out His blessings. They enjoyed those to the point that finally they got the idea they didn't need to do it God's way any longer. Now look at the sad condition in the last part of verse 12. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Let's read the next two verses. Therefore, it has come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear. That is, as God spoke, he cried out and they wouldn't hear. So they cried and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Wouldn't that be horrible if you got a, an email from God that said, I'm not going to I'm not going to hear any more of your prayers. Or let's, let's, let's make it something we get our attention. Some angelic figure would appear here in the air in a booming voice saying, you might as well stop praying. I'll never hear another prayer. I don't care how urgent it is. I don't care how sick you are. I'll never hear your prayer again. Do you understand that we can get ourselves in a position just like that? To where our prayers are useless. God said, you wouldn't hear me when I cried. I, I'm not going to hear you when you cry. Verse 14. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all of the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them that no man passed through nor returned. For they laid the pleasant land desolate. 
Wow, just you might say like total destruction to them. And we look at this story and we see what happened there. We see what happened to them over and over again. But the real question this morning for us is what will happen to you if you don't hear God, if you don't listen to God with the intent of doing the will of God. And don't stop there with just what's going to happen to you or what might happen to you. Think about those that, that will be affected as a result of whatever happens to you. And whether we're talking about a family, whether we're talking about a church or, uh, or whatever, it's going to affect more than just you. Proverbs 8, 34 says, Blessed is the man that heareth me. And in light of those four factors that I've just mentioned, wouldn't that be something that would just make sense? And, and that brings us to this serious choice that we each and every one have to, have to make. And it's amazing how easily some people, they dis, dis, dismiss, they disregard, disrespect, and, and disobey God. It's like, like there's no great danger in that. It's not really a big deal. Let me tell you, the best thing you can ever do for yourself is to do the will of God. It's not about what you and I want. It's not about our desire. It's about what God deserves and what God demands. And again, I say, just go through the Bible and look at all of the examples of the disasters that came as a result of people refusing to hear and obey what God says. Why would we ignore all of those examples? You say, well... Uh, just running a risk. Let me tell you, you're not just running a risk. You're getting ready to reap what you've sowed. When we disobey God, you say, boy, that's risky. As though we might get by with it, you know. But we don't. We never sin successfully. There's always going to be a price to pay. You say, yeah, but boy, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I don't have to worry about that. My Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son, every, every child that, that belongs to him. And keep in mind, this is not just our religious ceremonies he's talking about. It's not just even our righteous acts, the things that we do. But it's what's going on even in our heart. Oh, so many times we wonder, why, why would God allow this to happen to me? Oh, it might be because of what's right here going on in the heart. It might be because of some act of rebellion. Or maybe, it's, maybe it hasn't reached that point yet. That maybe it's just because that you know as a Christian what you ought to do and yet you refuse to do it. Somehow you think you'll get by with it. Let me tell you, God knows how to get our attention. In 1979, I was preaching a revival at the New Hope Baptist Church 
in Calvert City, Kentucky. While I was there, I, I met a man who told the story that he was a member of another Baptist church in another area some miles away, but they had bought some property near this church. And he knew that when they bought the property, they were going to build a house. They started building the house, but they were working every opportunity they had to get the house built. Didn't have time to go to church anymore. I'm talking about somebody... And by chance, I even happen to remember the guy's name. I don't know how that is. I can't remember what I ate yesterday. But they become obsessed with building that house, and they quit going to church, no serving the Lord or anything. And all of this time, God was dealing with them. Wait a minute. There's this New Hope Baptist Church right over there. I mean, that, why, don't, why don't you go there? Oh, don't have time to visit. Until one day he was out landscaping. The house is built now. He's going to make it really look pretty. He's out landscaping on the tractor. Some way the tractor flipped over with him underneath it. Broken ribs laying under that tractor. He said, God got my attention. I know this because he came to the church during the revival meeting. He himself told the story of how God got his attention, me laying there in the church. I knew what I needed to do. It's time for me to listen to God and get back into church. And I'm coming, asking the church to send for my letter. And I'd like to think that that, that fellow is still serving the Lord. I've often been tempted to call the pastor and, and ask, hey, you remember this person? Or, is he still there? But I tell you what, he himself admitted, God knows how to get your attention. I never forgot that. He's laying there. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. Well, that'll get your attention. Ribs broken, can't hardly breathe. And finally, finally someone came and they got the tractor off of him. And his first thought was, I need to listen to God. Now a lot of times things happen in our life and we, well, we call them accidents. J just happen. We don't ever connect it with the fact that our God is a sovereign God, that nothing happens without Him either causing it or He either allows it or He appoints it, one of the two. But it's not an accident. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying because you've got a problem, it's because that you've got some sin in your life. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the very fact that we disobey God is going to lead to problems and we need to take that into consideration. It's a whole lot better to, to hear what God says and respond. These people say, Lord, look what we're doing. 
Man, we're fasting. The Lord said, I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is that that poor widow over there. I'm concerned about that that orphan over there. That poor person that can't feed himself. I'm concerned about what's going in your heart and your attitude toward those people. It's kind of like the Lord saying, when you get all of that right, then come back and talk to me. I don't know what God might be saying to anyone here today. But I know one thing, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I know what God has said. He said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. And nothing better, nothing better could ever happen to you than that. And you might be here today and and God's been dealing with your heart. It might have been in Sunday school this morning. You might have heard something. Something that you knew was right. Something that spoke to the things that you've been doing that are wrong. And this would be a good time to say, Lord, I know what I need to do and I'm going to make it right with you this morning. And I'll guarantee you if that happens, you'll leave here a whole lot better off, a whole lot happier than than when you came. Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? That doesn't lose interest in you you because you fail? He's an on time, full time God and if you don't resist and reject him, he'll be there for you in your time of need. I hope that you'll just simply hear and do whatever it is the Lord have you to do this morning. We're going to stand. We're going to have our invitation. Father, we pray this morning that you'll use this, this example out of, uh, out of history, looking way back at the foolishness the foolishness of those people that to which you had given the promised land. You had blessed them as no other nation on the face of the earth. You had claimed them for your own people. And over and over again, in spite of all of your blessings, they continued to rebel. Rather than dealing with the issues that you had commanded, rather than doing your will, They did their little religious ceremonies as though they were going to make up for all the things that they neglected. God, help us to never be guilty of that. Help us this morning to listen. Listen to what you have said in your word and listen, as it were, to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts about. Lest we have to reap the results of our rebellion. We don't deserve your blessings, but we sure need them this morning. We pray that you'll help someone here today that maybe doesn't even realize they need help. And may the Holy Spirit use your word to challenge their heart and save that soul that's here today that is nearest to hell. May they come to know Christ as their Savior. But we pray in Jesus' name, amen.